Hey there, internet friends, Andy here. I uh, just wanted to tell you before the episode, we had all sorts of technical difficulties on this one. Um, and unfortunately, also, we had some scheduling problems that made it impossible to do a second go-around. So, if you're a diehard listener, we hope you will forgive the audio quality on this one and enjoy the content. And if you're a new listener... Uh, Maybe start with a new episode, a different one, so you can actually get a feel for what we're supposed to sound like. Anyway, uh, love you. Bye. All right. Hello, Internet friends, and welcome back to Love-Hate Relationship, an opinionated podcast for opinionated people. I'm your host, Andy Boel. And I'm your other host, Alex Ruiz, and we're here to brighten your day, anger your soul, and tell you how to live your lives in that order. And if any of you can't tell, I think Andy's a little frustrated right now. (laughs) So this is take two. Uh, Thank God uh, we we were only six minutes into take one, but uh, my, my computer just decided to violently get sick and vomit out its usb cables and (laughs) and uh, just just complete like minor breakdown on its part and now we're redoing the intro and here we are and and yes we were you're missing the point andy we were only a few minutes into the episode but it cut off in the middle of a story i was telling (laughs) so you tell your computer that i am highly offended at how offensively it interrupted me Nothing against you. You're a wonderful, just peach of a boy. But that that Dell of yours, tis tis tis. Well, you know, it's we're gonna get back to the story very quickly. But this this was a high school graduation gift. The laptop I'm recording on, which which makes it like old, curmudgeonly bastard old in computer years. So, uh, I guess. Oh my god. I, I guess it's uh, starting to really get cantankerous in its old age wait that's a nine-year-old computer jesus christ (laughs) i mean in fairness in fairness i bought my computer in like the one i'm recording on um not the other one i have open that has my notes because i'm as we've established i'm a two computer kind of recorder but um the macbook that i'm recording on i bought back when i had like corporate pepsi money it was my going away present to me when i got laid off uh and i think i got that in like 2012 so i'm not doing much better but it just goes to show hey all of you out there anyone who's aspiring to create a podcast you can do it with a 20 dollars microphone and a seven-year-old computer or a nine-year-old computer if you're andrew and understand how that shit works (laughs) yeah it's uh it's easier than ever and we'll like your uh, we'll, we'll like and review your show if you like and review ours. You were telling me, sure. because uh, I've been up for a long time for me today, you were telling me a story about your parents and getting up early. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, for context, both Andy and I are exhausted. Uh, we're recording this about eight, about 7.40 p.m., which is dangerously close to my bedtime, uh, on a weeknight of all times in late June. And uh, I was having a conversation with my parents uh, a couple weeks ago because they came to visit. Uh, hey, Mom, it was lovely to have you. Uh, but I told them, 
they they made some comment about my ability to get up early because I get up at four sometimes and I get up at five other times at five thirty other times and they kind of went wow I, uh, they were impressed with me for becoming a morning person I was like I am still not a morning person there's inside of me there's still this curmudgeonly like fourteen year old kid who just wants to stay up until, like, 3 in the morning doing nothing of consequence and then sleep in until 2 p.m. and then do it all over again. Like, that's who I am in my heart. <laughs> this is who I am just because if I were to try and live that lifestyle, there's no way I could maintain my sanity, my health, my marriage, my job, like... My entire life would collapse if I tried to live on that schedule again. I'm also on the wrong side of 30, so... Uh, it's like... Well, I'm not on the wrong side of 30. I'm closing in on 30, and... I don't know, man. If I don't sleep enough, I just get... Sick, honestly. Like, I don't get sick that often, but I just get sick if I don't sleep or if I try and go through this rigmarole and did I just say rigmarole how fucking old am I Andrew can't hear you friend hello all right Andy can you hear me now <laughs> yes yes I can so, dear listeners, uh, if Andy sounds a little weird right now, it's because we're having severe audio issues. But we are so dedicated to you that I'm going to muffle Andy's voice like I have one hand over his mouth. And we're going to still record for you. So you're all in for the treat of the first episode where uh, I actually sound worse than Alex. <laughs> Damn, that was a... Man! <laughs> That one was actually a good burn, Andrew. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. I, go shoot your shot, right? Ew. Gross. But I'm very proud yeah. of you. Yeah, thank you. So, you're, you're, you're in your heart the kind of kid who would go to bed at three and wake up at two. Uh, yeah. Yeah, something along those lines. I just... I don't, I am a night owl by nature, and that is not something you can override. I, I have read multiple studies that say it's not something you can seriously override. It's something that you kind of just let fall by the wayside. And if you left me to my own devices, Andrew, I would keep a schedule that would make gods and men cringe with fury. <laughs> but... That's okay, because the structures of the world as we know them today don't allow me to do that. So, eh, it'll be fine. Most things will. I, I admire your dedication. I am, I am still on record as somebody who cannot be bothered to get up that early unless I am sick or being paid. I respect you. <laughs> Is, I, that might be the first time I've ever said those words to you, Andrew. Mm. Oh, I know you're salty because I made a good audio burn on you, but no, you're not. 
Ugh, you're going to have to speak up so that the people can hear your burns, Andrew. <laughs> Remember, I edit these. I, I can control how loud I am after the fact. Alex, I would, I would love to talk to you about Garfield now <laughs> and, and just persevere and push through this. I believe in you. Okay. So, Andy... Uh, love-hate relationship, uh, I'll go ahead and just say, uh, folks, our format, we do one love topic, we do one hate topic, we take turns on that, and then we come to you, or we, rather, you come to us with, uh, whatever relationship topic happens to be eating away at your souls, and we do our best to assist you. So, Andy, do you want to talk to me about Garfield the Cat now, sweetheart? I would love talk to you about Garfield the Cat because I'm bringing the love this week. Indeed you are. Go ahead. Alright, so, um, I would think this is one that doesn't need a whole lot of explanation, but for anyone who is unaware, um, Garfield the Cat is possibly the single most iconic comic strip character in the world, uh, maybe maybe the Peanuts gang um, could fight for that the, the goat the goat comic book character. Um, but Garfield, as he is known, is an American comic uh, American comic character created by Jim Davis way back in 1978, and is still being like still in your dailies today. He is a very fat, unhealthy, lazy orange cat. He hates Mondays. He tortures his owner, John, and his friend, the dog, Odie. And yeah, I mean, I, I feel like this is one that just about anyone's going to go, yeah, I know who fucking Garfield is. Get to the point of why you love him. But I mean, he's a 40-year-old comic strip character. He's been featured in books, movies, multiple TV shows, holiday specials. He's, he's pretty deep in the collective unconscious of our pop culture world, I, I would say. I would hazard. Sure. I agree with that. And I, yeah. And, and I, I truly love Garfield. Like, I've been reading the Garfield comic strip through, like, I, I started back in my early childhood. I, I don't keep up with it now. I, I don't think I read any daily newspaper now, but this is something I grew up with. I, I always enjoyed his sarcasm and, you know, thought it was funny. It was, it was, it was something like a little kid could laugh at, but also kind of still feel edgy because it's this little asshole cat who's like torturing his, the people that love him and eating everything. Yeah. I mean, hmm. I don't want to interrupt you. But, because I'm trying, I'm trying to get better about doing that too much. But, I mean, for one thing, I had no idea the strip was that damn old. I used to read the Garfield comic strips back when, you know, I lived with my parents and they got a daily newspaper. So, yeah, when I was, like, a child. And I used to love reading those. And I was a huge fan. I know you're going to talk about this. I was a huge fan of Garfield and Friends, the animated cartoon. And I feel like that was the majority of my exposure to Garfield forever. I, I guess I'm 
for me, Andrew, the the curiosity lies in why is he stuck with you? Like, <laughs> no, seriously. Like you say that you loved him as a child. I think we all, I think we all have characters we loved as children. Uh, you know, but I I rewatched some Sesame Streets with my niece you know, not that long ago, and went, okay, I used to really be into this show when I was little. It's kind of cool to revisit now, sit and watch a couple of episodes with my little baby niece, but I'm not going to keep up on Sesame Street. And even though you don't read the comic strips, it sounds like you still seem invested in this character, so I'm curious as to why. Sure, and and we're going to get into that in a bit more detail in a moment, but I think it's because, like, the character has demanded my attention and just continuing to come back in different ways, you know? Really, you you look at comic strips, and the ones, I would say, with any real lasting power are, like, Starfield and Peanuts. They're the ones that got Christmas specials and TV deals and movies and... I got, I've got time for the Baby Blues Adult Swim cartoon because that's a fucking crazy sentence and it's a real thing. But we've talked about Zits on this podcast and there's no Zits multimedia. You're absolutely you know, right. Um, Bill Watterson famously will not continue to do anything Calvin Hobbes. Like, we'll get a Calvin Hobbes movie over his cold grave. But Garfield is lasting. In, in a weird way, and I think, like, I just, I, I see that, and I loved it as a kid, and I continue to love it as, love him, it, whatever, uh, as an adult, because he keeps popping up. Sure. You know, we had, we, 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 we had the comic strip. We had Garfield and Friends, which I watch every Saturday morning and, and totally loved. Sure. I know uh, when we talked about Rob Paulson, I referenced uh, the late and wonderful Lorenzo Music, who voiced Garfield on Garfield and Friends. And that was his real fucking voice. Like, y'all YouTube Lorenzo Music. Like, the man spoke like Garfield. That was who he was. <laughs> I don't think I don't think he was the character, but, like, yeah. that was his voice. All fire hydrants are manufactured at Heidi's Hydrant Heaven in Walla Walla, Washington. There, each hydrant is filled with 100 gallons of compressed H2O. Yeah, no, I, I love the show. I love the all the barnyard zaniness stuff. No, yeah, the, the, the cartoon was a, a dear piece of my childhood. It's, I, I honestly don't think about the cartoon that much. And honestly, like, to get into it, I don't think about the strip a whole lot. I fondly remember it. I, uh, I, I would rent, not rent, I would borrow books from my local library and just, you know, read nothing but Garfield funnies. And that was, that was awesome for me. But like, like I talked about, Garfield keeps coming back. One of the main ways he did that, and it's a way that totally appeals to my generation and my sense of humor, was through a webcomic that was not actually published by Jim Davis. But I am referring to the webcomic Garfield minus Garfield, which 
which I'm sure you're familiar with, Alex. I am. Uh, I remember when Garfield minus Garfield came out. Uh, and I'll let Andy explain it, but there's... Believe it or not, there's been uh, a bit of actual legitimate academic criticism talking about Garfield minus Garfield as a brilliant commentary on mental health and existentialism and a whole lot of very deep topics. Uh, and you get that basically from just making John, uh, usually John, and sometimes the other characters just, you know, talk to themselves? Minus Garfield? It's it's very hard to explain, especially in an audio medium. Um, and I don't know if you have a strategy to do that, Andy, but I highly recommend just checking out Garfield minus Garfield if you're even passively familiar with Garfield comic strips in general. Because it's an interesting thought exercise. As well as, you know, really hilarious. Yeah, totally. Now, for, for anyone unfamiliar and, and interested, Garfield minus Garfield was a webcomic created by a man named Dan Walsh, um, who started it back in 2008. And, like, just the premise is, it is the Garfield comic strip minus Garfield. It is regular strips, and then Garfield and his thought balloons have been digitally taken out. So that's how you get into these weird situations where mostly, you know, it's John, a, a strip where John and Garfield have a three-panel conversation, and John says something maybe slightly pathetic, and Garfield says something hilariously sarcastic, then becomes three panels of a man standing alone talking to himself or, you know, having a violent emotional mood swing or, like, like you said, appearing mentally unhinged and emotionally unwell. And it's really funny. It's really funny... And, and, and slightly horrifying in in a relatable way, but it, it took this this thing for children, this this family friendly comic cartoon strip, and transformed it into this emotional existential like like thought experiment that just also happens to be hilarious. I think that's I, I do think that's brilliant. I, I agree with that study. <laughs> yeah, it's um, you know no, and it's it's this just again. I I feel like I'm. It's impossible to just explain in words. Like I just decided, I I y'all, I broke my own rule. I just did research while on the podcast. I used my two computers. <laughs> And I'm just looking up any Garfield minus Garfield comment, comic, and, like, the very first one that comes up is, you know, there's John, and it's literally three panels, one in which he says, he goes, depressed? Second panel. Well, look on the bright side. And then the third panel. Compared to absolute hopeless despair, depressed is cheerful. 
I assume there's Garfield in there somewhere with a punchline or a setup that makes that punchline comic strip funny. But right there, that was just... I mean, that's Nietzschean right there. Well, it's Nietzschean, and it's also millennial. <laughs> like, like, that's a Facebook post from my sister, is what you just read out. Oh, I miss your sister. <laughs> I know. Uh, she's doing well. She misses you, too. But, but yeah, that's like, it, it appeals directly to our generation and younger. It appeals to maybe a, a higher, uh, higher brow comedy than the original cartoon strip. And, like, you don't see this with other stuff. Like, the reason this works is because it's Garfield, because it is a blatantly familiar thing that everyone knows, but then turned on its head and viewed in an entirely new way. Like, like that's comedy. Um, and yeah. that's why I, I, that's part of why I love Garfield. Yeah, that's, that's one of the more modern reasons why I love Garfield. And like, I can't think of another strip where it would work. There's there's another webcomic that plays with the same themes. It's a Star Trek webcomic called Chief O'Brien at Work. And it's, you know, for anyone familiar with Star Trek, it's about transporter Chief O'Brien sitting at his station with nothing to do all day because all the action is actually happening elsewhere on the ship. And it, it, it plays along the same themes and it's existential and, and delightful. But... You don't, you don't get this. You don't get this kind of humor a lot. You don't get it. If you do get it at all, maybe it's like BoJack or some other, you know, adult cartoon show. But but Garfield minus Garfield kind of started that trend a little bit. So the closest thing I can think of, and it's not really a one-to-one comparison, but did you ever hear, this is a super old video at this point, but did you ever hear The Count from Sesame Street censored? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm vaguely familiar with that video. Yeah, and and any of you who haven't heard it, again, it's a very old meme at this point, but like you can look it up very easily, but it's literally just a song from Sesame Street where The Count talks about how much he loves counting and they don't do anything with it except for every time he says the word count except for when he introduces himself as the count every time he uses the verb count they just bleep it so it sounds like he's talking about fucking you'll know that i am called the count Because I really love to and and that kind of it's a tiny change and it just lets you who might have grown up with this and if you didn't grow up with it at the very least you have context for it. it 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 just allows you to fill in those blanks and I'm sure that there's a humor philosopher who's written a bunch of books on this kind of subject and I don't know who that is but Garfield minus Garfield to me uh, it's not doing the same thing as that but it's using the, the same kind of 
the same kind of thought process, that little adjustment. But you get that from kind of having that base framework to work with. I gotta ask. I gotta ask you, um, and, and this is partially because I'm just looking over your notes. You mentioned that you talk about Garfield being in multiple categories. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the Bill Murray movies, <laughs> which are what universally reviled. Pretty much. I mean, he's got the the classic joke where it's his only regret in life. Yeah, that is a zombie from Zombieland. Who's Bill Murray? Yeah, I've never hit a kid before. I mean, that's like asking who Gandhi is. Who's Gandhi? You also reference here Garfield's pet force. <laughs> I forgot about that. I feel like this is something that I've seen images of, but this was a cartoon where Garfield characters were reimagined as superheroes, or I'm sorry, a comic book where they were? Well, it, it, um, it started bizarrely enough, as, like, a book series, like, a directed at, like, fourth and fifth graders level series of books about a completely alternate universe where Garfield and his friends, you know, all of the major characters are superheroes. Uh, it actually did become a uh, Nickelodeon, I think, release cartoon. Um, and, and yeah, like I read all the books, I thoroughly enjoyed them. Like they were just utterly ridiculous. The only ones I can remember Garfield was super strong, but like still a sarcastic asshole. And Odie had a like lick a tongue sized tongue that could paralyze people. <laughs> Why does this yeah. feel like someone just ripped off road rovers? And put it in space I with mean, Garfield characters. Because, you know, animals and violence and bizarre sci-fi superheroes. There's some similar themes. Sure, fair <laughs> enough. Um, and, and yeah, it was this completely like batshit crazy left turn way to take the character that again, like, like you don't have Family Circus remaking Star Wars. I'm, I'm trying to think of a good other one that doesn't involve Ziggy, because I'd rather just forget Ziggy exists. No, I mean, the only the only comic strip other than Peanuts and Garfield that I can think of that has made, you know, a really strong mark on other medium uh, was the Boondocks. Sure. Oh, yeah, good point there, though. Which, like, I have both volumes of the Boondocks uh, comic strip. Uh, they've been collected in two volumes. They are excellent, and I love the Boondocks cartoon. The Boondocks, collectively, as just the comic strip and the TV show, like, might be a future love, especially since the news came out recently that they're rebooting it with Aaron Magruder. But that's the only other example I can think of where someone took a comic strip property, like something that was specifically designed in a comic strip, and had most of its life as a comic strip. Because, you know, Superman and Spider-Man were comic strips, but then they got full books. Right. Um, yeah, that's the only case where I can think of a full-on comic strip that, A, was that popular, B, uh, wormed its way into the consciousness that much, and C, had so many things come out of it. 
very specifically cartoons, but, you know, Garfield definitely... Garfield and Peanuts have both surpassed that, and Garfield has surpassed Peanuts, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of just sheer volume of stuff. Because Garfield has multiple iterations, and Peanuts kind of has... You know, the Charlie Brown specials, there was the cartoon. I still watch a Charlie Brown Christmas every single Christmas. Um, and, what, like, one or two... Uh, feature movies? Yeah, the last one was in uh, 2013 or something. And yeah. that was like the last shot of trying to really bring Peanuts back to the pop culture. Yeah, and I I feel like that did okay. It didn't exactly, you know, overperform, but it, like, was fine. Yeah, fine is the right word for it. And, and I mean, it's not like anything... And it's not like anything Jim Davis has pumped out with Garfield over the past, I would say, 10 years has been that great, has been even fine. But, you know, it's Garfield minus Garfield. It's other people taking the torch and doing something with this character because he's so beloved. Yeah. I mean, and and say what you will... um... I know Jim Davis has come under a bit of scrutiny recently because it's kind of been noticed that he's reused some comic strips. Like, he's basically redrawn a few strips that he did, like, a decade or two earlier. Just all the same punchlines and everything, the same jokes, just redrawn. Sure. Clearly as a... He's he's a little, he's a little bit phoning it in at this point, but... I mean, how much money has he made off merchandising on this character anyway? Right, and again, like, he started this in 1978. I I don't have 40 years worth of a comic strip in me. I don't think anyone does. Yeah, no, like, the dude who did Doonesbury is the only one I can think of, and he mostly just pulls from the fucking news. Right. And Scott Atsit is a dick, and for some reason, dicks can totally create stuff, so Dilbert hasn't gotten you know, significantly better or worse, but it has continued to do stuff. It's the L. Ron Hubbard school of creation, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, so I, I, I said Garfield minus Garfield was like part of my modern enjoyment of Garfield, and there is something else that I, I personally urged you to not look into when I sent you these show notes. And I respected your decision, Andrew, so this better be good. I I think it is. I, I love this. Um, so I'm going to make use of your dual screen technology and and I'm going to force you to do a little bit of research and, and live for our viewership. I would like you to go to Google Images. Okay. And I would like you to type in Garfield, I'm sorry, John. And go ahead and hit enter and tell me what you see. Andrew, what the hell? (laughs) What? What Cronenbergian? Right. Okay, listeners. Um, First of all, listeners, uh, 
be very careful doing the search on your own. Yeah, okay, so you don't need to do this search. I will explain it. Um, this is, these are essentially sketches of a Garfield, a series of Garfield-headed monsters. That's the best way I can articulate this. Yeah. They have Garfield heads or extrapolations of Garfield heads on top of Let's see, here's a cockroach body. This looks like a tarantula body. This looks like a weird long-armed troll body. This looks like a creature made out of worms body. Like, like half of the time, it's, it's something out of the thing. Burn it! Damn it, child, torch it! And the other half of the time, he is this chthonic nightmare. So, this is collectively known as I'm Sorry John. It's also uh, known as Gorefield. And the origins of this little phenomenon date back to 2013 when uh, YouTube and internet artists by the screen name of Double Baby, posted a comic in which Garfield had consumed the entire house. And, like, it's this bizarre little comic of John walking through his house and everything is orange and everything is Garfield fur patterned. And then he walks, like, into the living room and Garfield's head is there. And he says, I'm sorry, John, I was just so hungry. This is this is spread into just this this I mean virus is probably the best word for it. Um, on the internet of making these weird ass Garfield creepy boxes. And I'm totally here for it. I love it. It's so stupid. But I love it. Oh I mean the problem is I can think of worse things to do. Like Oh, this is okay. You're gonna make a horror comic out of Garfield. Um, the comics fans around our audience will be familiar, but recently, you know, uh, the comics industry has had some successes with licensing old Hanna Barbera products with gritty reboots. And there's like Scooby Doo in a post apocalypse, or the Flintstones in a like contemporary issues storyline where they deal with things like homophobia and a Trumpist election. And these reimaginings can go in very interesting directions. Horror Garfield, I have to admit, as I scroll through these awful images... <laughs> they are awful. Sounds a lot better than weird superhero reboot Garfield. Sure, like, it, it makes sense in the exact same way that Garfield minus Garfield does, in that, like, there is a baked-in familiarity with the character, and, like, whether you find the the content supremely upsetting or not, and I, I, I wouldn't begrudge anyone who takes a look at this and goes, oh, Fuck you guys for making me see that. I'm not going to look at this. <laughs> um, 
there's there's a weird subversion to just the idea of Garfield the cat as this terrifying, sometimes godlike monster. Uh, is it any more disturbing than those weird Shaggy memes? Where, like, Shaggy <laughs> is a god? Right, Shaggy is the most powerful being in creation. Yeah. Um, like... I, I haven't seen many that, like, do a body horror Shaggy. Like, these, these are... These are these are Cronenbergian to say the least. These he, like like in none of these is Garfield anything other than a pure monster, and and this would be very upsetting to children. And to do a giant callback way back to our second episode when I railed against um, like YouTube poop, I would say like anyone who shows this to a kid or allows a kid to find this is a little bit. But, like, this is a hell of a lot harder to find, in my opinion. Uh, that is the key difference. You had me Google the words, I'm sorry, John. So, uh, I don't know. I'm not exactly on safe search mode. That's a fair point. <laughs> um, but, like, I have yet to see anyone, like, slide one of these into a, a series of, of regular Garfield images. Like, if, if, if nothing else, this this has to be thought out, even if you're accidentally typing in, I'm sorry, John. And, and, and fun fact, like, I had you specify Garfield. If you just type in, I'm sorry, John, you get a couple of these, but you also get a bunch of John Denver stuff, which I love for completely different reasons. Uh, yeah, because John Denver is wonderful. He is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for sharing Garfield with me. Honestly, like, you pitched this to me, and I thought, Garfield? Really? Okay. I mean, let's see where it goes, and I'm not mad about where it's gone. I'm just kind of (laughs) like, here we are. The, the notion of, of making you un, uninformed and blindly searching out uh, the creepy stuff was what sold me. If, if Garfield didn't exist, I probably wouldn't be talking about Garfield on the podcast today. But nonetheless, like that's not the only reason I love him. I, I, I love Garfield for his wholesome content as much as his disturbing content. And I I just, I think a lot of people love Garfield, and I think that's the reason why any of this exists. And figured, why not talk about it? So thank you for indulging me. <laughs> Absolutely. You ready to move on? Yeah, yeah. So uh, we also do a hate every episode. We do. Time, it is your turn. And it is my turn, and uh, the way I always like to start, Andrew, with your little voice coming out of this little box here that's on my table, I want to go ahead and start off this section by asking you, Andrew Richard Bowell, I would like to ask you, where do you get your news? You personally. Yeah. You just said that you don't really, like, subscribe to a newspaper, or else you would still be reading Garfield comic strips, so... Where do you get your news? 
Right. No, I, I no longer read the newspaper um, in just about any capacity. I would say I get my news probably exclusively through Facebook or Twitter. Twitter, at least, there is a degree of cultivation I can put in by, you know, who I follow and, and what I like and become informed that way, which is honestly a very biased way to ingest your news. Um, and Facebook is, is a little more of a crapshoot when it comes to that sort of thing. It's more just like, hey, something's happening now. You hear about it on Facebook. Um, but yeah, social media, uh, it, 100% is how I get my news these days. Okay. And you know what? You are... N- you're in the majority of people, uh, and actually the majority of people regardless of age, because there's a lot of older folk who get a lot of their news mainly from Facebook. Um, we'll get into the topic that I'm about to talk about and, and the number of people who are in there in that bag, um, but in the, in the interest of full disclosure, I will say to you, I also get a lot of my news from Twitter, and I, am care- I try to be careful about curating where exactly, who I'm following, what I'm clicking on. Uh, I have also uh, curated a number of news podcasts, including uh, a couple of daily ones that I listen to. Uh, Shout out to the Daily Zeitgeist and Democracy Now!, uh, as well as some weekly news ones, all kind of vetted by my own sensibilities and my own best efforts to try and stay as reasonably informed as possible. So that's my disclaimer up front. And I thank you for being candid enough to state where you got yours, Andy. So thank you. You're most welcome. Um, So my hate for this segment is a term that's... I, I mean, it's... The term for it has been bandied about a lot in popular lexicons recently, but um, outright, it's the 24-hour news cycle. So the way that I want to start this discussion is actually not by talking about the 24-hour news cycle, the news cycle of today, but I want to actually have uh, an explanation of the old way of newspaper reporting uh, so that we can set this up as a comparison. Uh, So, Andy, if you will indulge me, uh, I had an old professor in graduate school. His name was Richard R. Good. He was a really well-regarded Philadelphia-based opinion writer back in his day. And I want to disclaim before I go into this that I'm not arguing old ways are always best. I just am stating this for the sake of contrast. We good? Oh, sure. Cool. So the way that it used to work, uh, as it was explained to me by this professor of mine who kind of came up... uh, as a newspaper reporter before he did opinion writing, was newspapers had beat reporters who would go out to incidents and report worthy events, collect information and interviews and etc. Um, in this, my, my the particular case that uh, the particular example given to me, my professor, he was on the police beat. His whole deal was he basically listened to police scanners, listened for sirens, listened for reports of incidents, and would essentially go out to see what the police in Philadelphia were up to on any given day. 
Uh, they would go out, collect all this information and interviews and take all these notes, and then they would call them in on a payphone to the office where a copywriter would take the notes down and begin writing the article for the newspaper. There'd be fact checkers who would then follow up, research, and verify anything that needed verification. Uh, that could be anywhere from the names of people interviewed to dates and times and locations to information within police reports. Um, just basically making sure that everything was air as airtight as possible. The reporter would come back to the office, review the material with the copywriter and the checkers before all of them sent it along to the editors, proofreaders, and eventually the layout people and publishers. So all this is to say, no fewer than five sets of eyes would look at a piece before it was finalized and sent to press. Often many more for larger or more important stories. Now this was for a daily newspaper. You had an, ad you had an advertisement department, uh, which was usually on a different floor from the reporting one, same thing with the opinion piece section. Now, around the same time, TV news, as in your 6 p.m. and your 11 o'clock news, had a similar, if somewhat more punctuated setup, but the same kind of basic structure. And while advertising was always done during the news, most of your typical, most of your stations, and this was back when it was the public stations, your CBS, NBC, uh, and what was... The other one, CBS, uh, ABC, and NBC. NBC. Yes, when it was just those three stations, all of them kind of understood. Sure, we can sell ads during the news, but doing the news is something of a public service. It's being done at roughly even profits or even a loss, and that was okay. It was all right because you were doing something that was for the good of that community of the listener base. So that's what we had. That, that was generally the process with daily newspapers and once TV news became a thing with those early public broadcasting channels, that's what TV news was. And that was the way things were from basically the beginnings of newspapers and the beginnings of TV news up to the early 1980s. So we, cut, so we cut to 1980, and that's when Ted Turner launches CNN, the first 24-hour cable news television channel. <laughs> he said they go both ways. <laughs> <laughs> like a bisexual. Thank you, Ted. That was the joke. Now, before that, there had been all news radio stations, uh, radio stations that would just, you know, were playing news broadcasts the whole day, but these tended to function under the assumption that people were cycling on and off throughout the day, and they regularly reran segments, understanding that no one was listening to it all day long. Opposed to this, CNN and its later imitators, uh, they needed to basically secure worthwhile ratings to compete with other cable programming. Keep in mind, this was cable, so people were paying for it. That's when the if it bleeds, it leads became something of a mantra for the entire industry rather than something that was just kind of around for yellow journalism. 24-hour news needs to fill time and attention with sensationalist reporting and the marketability of the news and later opinion talking heads um, 
which kind of became a more important factor than whatever the fuck they were actually talking about. These were corporate-owned networks, and the profits kind of became what mattered. I know my parents listen to cable news. Um, my dad is a big CNN and MSNBC fan. I assume your parents listen to cable news. Is that correct? Uh, they sure as hell did my childhood, yeah. I, uh, I think you could say that Tom Brokaw had a seat at the dinner table. <laughs> that's, that's actually kind of charming. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> Just your way of phrasing that. Just like that, oh, Tom Brokaw had a seat at your dinner table. That's adorable. But, okay, so how much 24-hour news did you personally watch, Andy? Like, did you ever sit with your parents and watch these shows? Um, more into my teens. Certainly not in my childhood. I was too busy reading Garfield. Um, <laughs> I walked right into that one, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> You set it up perfectly for me. Uh, but no, like, I I, uh, I can recall more in my high school years, like, just being on the couch and my dad having CNN or uh, more often than I'd like Fox or, you know, something just beyond, like, the evening news show. And, and they're talking about, you know, whatever the hell they're talking about. No, and that's... I'm actually... I'm. You know, for for what my politics are, I'm actually going to try my best not to single out Fox News in this discussion. Not because I don't consider them the kind of the worst perpetrator of a lot of this stuff. I do think that. But I... How do I put this? A lot of my criticisms for 24-hour news, while Fox News does a lot... Do, arguably does the most of it of anybody... I feel like there are a lot of people who don't agree with Fox News politics who use the fact that Fox News does it more to kind of pat themselves on the back and say, at least we're not that bad, while Fox News actually has higher ratings than all of them, basically. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I my experience, uh, kind of similar to yours, actually, around the time I was a teenager, I, I sat and I watched MSNBC with my dad. I watched CNN with my dad. And, um, you know, I, because, I think because I wasn't a sports guy, before 2016, elections were kind of my Super Bowls, you know? Like, I followed presidential elections. I followed midterms, even like they were, you know, yeah, the damn Super Bowl. Like, I'd watch a little C-SPAN, but C-SPAN's way drier. Um, but I'd watch a lot of CNN and MSNBC just kind of following along to whatever the hell was going on. And frankly, I'm not sure how much good that all did me because at a certain point, and I don't think I realized this until I was in college, the 24-hour news cycle is a lot of the same information repeated over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And I only realized this after I'd been consuming it for seven or eight years. And it's funny because I'll talk to my parents. My dad is a huge politics junkie. My mom is informed, but she doesn't follow the news for entertainment, for something to do. 
Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. And it's funny because I remember hanging out um, at my parents' house, and I think this was on a visit because I hadn't really been around that much, and I talked to my mom about some... I had been watching, you know, CNN for an hour and a half, maybe, or just had it on in the background. And my mom just kind of goes, they're just reporting the same thing over and over and over again. Can we, can, can you change it to something else, please? <laughs> sure. Like my mother is telling me, Hey, please watch your cartoons because I'm really tired of them reporting the same headline three times in an hour with just a different person talking about it. And that was a moment where I kind of realized, like, the very special perspective my mom had as someone who didn't treat politics like sport, who didn't treat it like, this is the team I'm on, and I'm rooting for my team to win. And so, like, even though I never got into sports, I can easily understand how there are people who watch ESPN for hours and watch, like, old basketball players who retired 10 years ago give commentary about how a game went. Do they do that in hockey, Andy? Absolutely. Yeah, like, and do you watch that shit? It's funny, I was about to say, like, like during the season, uh, there is, I think, there's one of, like, the NHL channels that isn't dedicated to games. It's actually just, like, half-hour loops of, like, recaps from the previous night or even like here's the highlights from the games that happened tonight and it it seriously like plays on a loop and I can only get through like one of them before I uh I have to turn it off yeah sure and I mean and that's the thing because it's like I can watch James Carville talk about his opinion of Mitt Romney And then I can watch Al Sharpton talk about his opinion of Mitt Romney. And they're both going to say the exact same thing in slightly different language. But I realize it's the same thing as two different, you know, like one person who's who's been a commentator forever and one person who was a former player discussing the same game, whether it's hockey or basketball or baseball or what have you. It's almost programmed the exact same way. And, and here's the thing. On one level, you might go, oh, okay, that's kind of cute. On the other level, I kind of feel like that's fucking dangerous. And, well, I, I, and I would agree. Yeah, because, I mean, I don't want to harp on sports culture, but part of the issue with news as entertainment is, and I'm not saying anything new here, when news is entertainment, when people are investing in their news, in their stories, in the public figures involved, like their celebrities, like their sports teams, or hometowns, or universities, things ramp up in really intense ways. Tie that in with, you know, ridiculously sensationalist reporting I'm, I'm trying to remember the exact study, and I'm kicking myself in the ass for not putting it in my notes, but if I remember the statistic correctly, violent crime in the United States has been down something 
something huge in the last 40 years, like since 1980, it's just been dropping consistently. But coverage of violent crime in media has gone up 500%. And that's just because the same stories are getting reported over and over and over again. I think, was it on this podcast that we talked about, um, or was this just a conversation you and I had, how... There was this idea that once upon a time you could just, like, keep your door unlocked and not have to worry about any anybody coming in. And now everyone locks their door and they're scared to let their kids outside to fucking play. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Yeah, I believe we've, we've discussed that on the show. Sure. Um, and it's, it's absolutely true. Yeah. And, and that's generally been the attitude. But also, it's fucking safer than ever for your kids to be out. You're just more aware of shit now than you ever were. Even though less is going on, everyone's hyper aware of it. The perception doesn't track with the reality. And that's part of the problem with, you know, profit-based news. And I don't want this to turn into an anti-capitalism rant. But... If there's something that shouldn't be, you know, tremendously profit-based, it should... One of those things probably should be the fucking news. Yeah. You know, like... Yeah, and, and, and I have a thought of how we can rant about it without it being directly about capitalism, but, like, we can curate our information cycle in more and better ways than ever before. And that's how you opened this with your questions, maybe, like... If you're a right-wing, leaning conservative, you can watch nothing but Fox. If you are not, you can pick from any number of sources. If you don't give a crap about the news, as it were, except for, you know, the hockey scores and the latest hockey takes, you can get a Twitter and follow nothing but hockey writers. And what this leads to, it, like, like not even with our money, but with our time, we buy our version of the story. And you buy that version, and then it tells you things in the way you want to hear them, which can be dangerous, to say the least. Sure. I think the thing that freaks me out that that's a that's a smart observation andy but the thing that kind of so i opened this discussion yes asking you where you got your news i also opened it talking about how newspaper reporting used to work i'm not saying that newspaper reporting is gone it's not there are still newspapers out there i've got friends who work for newspapers i hear stories from those friends who work for newspapers i've got a friend who if I remember his career trajectory properly, he started off basically just writing film and theater reviews for one of the major Orlando newspapers. And it, as years have progressed, as layoffs have continued, he's gone from handling a piece of the arts section to doing massive reporting on city issues, city council issues, on legitimate, like, affecting the community municipal issues, stuff that 
he wasn't hired to do. It just kind of got levied over to him as they let this reporter go, as they let these folks go. You know, the, the idea that you would have a reporter who didn't actually write the article, the copywriter wrote the article, and then it was checked over by multiple people. Now, one person does that. The person who does the reporting also writes the article, also does their own fact-checking a lot of the time, also does their own proofreading a lot of the time. Some, some spots still have some resources, but even a lot of major news sources just can't sustain that anymore because part of that's because we're not paying for that media anymore. But Andy, when we were talking about you know, video streaming services and the subject of pirating came up, if people aren't willing to pay for their movies, how many of those same people are willing to pay for their media? Sure. And I... I think I, the, the, the number is low, and the people who do fill up that number are uh, of a certain age group, or, or if not, they're even, even an even smaller minority that I suppose you would say you count yourself a part of who aren't of a smaller age group but feel like it's their responsibility to stay informed enough to the point of curating it properly. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, personal anecdote on this one. I, I very rarely ever argue politics on Facebook. I, I'm... I usually pretty strictly keep that shit to Twitter. Um, since the student loan proposals have been shoring up, and by the way, everyone, we're recording this the night of the first Democratic uh, primary debate, which I'm sure I'm sure was a clusterfuck. Actually, it's probably still going on as of right now when we're recording. But <laughs> I'm not gonna watch it. I'm just gonna. I don't need that shit. It's the first debate, and there's ten people on each of two nights. Fuck it. But I just started, you know, the student loan issue hits me deep. I mean, hell, it was one of your hates, and that was uh, one of our more downloaded episodes, actually. But funny enough, like, I made, I made a comment there um, just posting about it on Facebook where I said I really wanted people... I wasn't interested in opinions from anyone who hadn't read the Warren proposal, who hadn't actually read the 2,500-word proposal that she had put out because I'm sure there's a lot of people who heard talking heads whether on MSNBC or Fox News or CNN or wherever fuck Alex Jones's channel or free speech news or whatever end of the spectrum you're on a lot of people summarizing it but not a lot of people who actually read it and uh someone we went to high school with who leans on the rights, on, on the side of conservatism, uh, asked me why I considered that the only valid source. And I didn't try to pwn him. I didn't try to dunk on him or anything like that. I just flat out said that I didn't consider it the only source, but that I did consider it required reading because it was the only serious proposal by a presidential candidate. I then listed several articles from the opposition that I had also read some of which I consider good reporting, good opposition, even if I don't agree with it, and a lot of which I considered shit takes. And you know what? It didn't start a fight. Like, to Homeboy's credit, like, he was like, hey, thanks for clarifying. And that was the end of it. And that's honestly the best you can ever hope for in a Facebook argument. But 
I I try and make a point to I know my perspective. I know my beliefs. I know my background. I know what I care about. And I know the likelihood that anyone's going to change my mind. But I still try and be informed. I still try and be mindful of that. And that's... And here's the thing. I don't say that to aggrandize myself. I say that to say, it's really fucking hard to do that. It's hard to find well-researched opinions on multiple sides of an issue. It's hard to find takes that aren't made in bad faith. Hell, I shat all over a New York Times article recently talking about the student loan subject that was like, oh, the making college free won't end student debt. I'm like, no shit, it won't end student debt. It's just one part of a multi-pronged issue. And that's from the fucking New York Times. It's so hard to get good media. It's so hard to get good news. I blame the 24-hour news cycle in a lot of ways for that because it made news a profit-based thing, which made it, you know, subject to the limitations of capitalism. That is, work lean. Anyone who's ever worked in food service understands the concept of working lean. Uh, And... It is baffling to me that we are in an age where literacy is at an all-time high and media literacy is at an all-time low. Sure. And I don't have an easy solution other than doing a lot of very boring work to be very mindful about what you consume. So in this hate, I don't think I'm offering a solution beyond, hey, everybody out there, Don't share articles based on headlines. Make sure you read them. Vet your sources. Examine your biases. Read shit you don't agree with. Recognize propaganda. All of that's boring as hell and a lot of work. I'm sorry. We don't have anything immediately easier or better right now. So I'm going to just hate on the 24-hour news cycle. Call it what's to blame. And, I don't know, let that be a catharsis. I worry I'm ending this segment on, like, a wet fart, but... <laughs> well, I mean, you, you, gotta, you gotta eat your greens, as it were. And how many people are willing to do that with actual food? It's, I mean, we, 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 we maybe solve our hates 60% of the time. Do you want to start that spreadsheet? Because I don't. No. I, I, hey, hey, super fan. Uh, there's, there's uh, I don't know, a t-shirt in it for you if you come up with that infographic. We don't have t-shirts. Uh, I'll make a t-shirt if somebody like goes through the effort of making an infographic of how much we actually solve the problems we present forward. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I, I think it is often just as important to prescribe the problem and say why it's bad and at least get people thinking about it and get people wondering, where do I get my news from? And am I actually comfortable with what that answer is? You know, I... I get my news exclusively through Facebook and Twitter, but I know I should probably do a little more to actually be informed via 
intellectually contributing member of society. And yeah, I, I hope and I feel like some of our listeners are going to be in the same boat and willing to do something about it. So You're such a hopeful boy. I know. I love that about <laughs> you. So I hope my damn computer's working next episode. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well... We'll see how it goes. Who knows? Most people, maybe a whole bunch of people have decided you sound like shit and have just turned the episode off. I don't know. Everyone who's here with us, we love you so much and appreciate you so much. Absolutely. Uh, so that's my hate 24 hour news cycle. If you take nothing else from this subject, if you don't, if you don't want, if, if you take one piece of advice I can give you, you don't need to do a single one of those things I just listed a moment ago. Just do me one favor. Turn off the cable news. Don't bother with it. Even if it even if you agree with it, even if you like it. I too think that Rachel Maddow is fun to watch and that Chris Hayes is weirdly pretty. <laughs> but and that Anderson Cooper can get it. But just turn it off. Find something else. Or better yet, in if that's your only source of news, just don't watch it. Just talk to people. Like, if you do nothing else, please just turn off the 24-hour cable news channels. That is the only ask I have of you before we move on into this quite interesting question. Yeah. And, and real quick, there, there you go. There's, I, I, that's as close as you generally get to hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> Please, I beg you, do one thing and just stop this one action. <laughs> uh, but yes, we, uh, you know, we... we go into our relationship question now. Okay. Um, so, um, Andy, I'm going to read this. I hope you're not offended by that. Not at all. Okay, cool. So, hey guys, I'm about to turn 20, happy soon-to-be birthday, and have recently developed a close friendship with a friend that I have known since elementary school. This friend and I have engaged in romantic interactions, uh, kissing, cuddling, other non-sexual activities, a few times, but I'm not sure if it's just because we were both there for each other when we wanted someone to be, or if there is any real romantic connection between us. And I think I'm falling hard for her. However, she leaves home for school at the end of the year, and I really want to be with this friend romantically. What do I do? That's signed the Zack to her Miri. You're not my demographic, so I'm not insulted. Not really. Who's your demographic? Do you love pussy? I do. Then not you. Oh, okay. So this person wants to make a porno with their friend, apparently. <laughs> apparently. <laughs> uh, so... Andy, do you want to start? Should I start? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and start, though. I, 
think you're better qualified to answer this than I, and my answer will reveal why. But um, like, first of all, Zach, I've I've been there in regards to not being sure if you actually like someone or if you like having physical intimacy with someone. But if you think you're falling hard for her, you probably are. You know, she, she leaves home she leaves home for school at the end of the year and you really want to be with her. Well, I mean, so so what do you do? The first thing is you get strike. You you get on that and, and you strike while the iron's hot while you still have assuming a relationship blossoms from this six months to have a relationship. I know your real question is more, what do I do when she leaves home for school? And no context was given as to how far that is, what that means. Is this across the country? Is this across a couple state lines? How long distance are we talking here? But the heart wants what it wants. And I think you need to confront your feelings confront your friend and uh, reveal your feelings and see if she shares them and then deal with school at the end of the year when it comes. And, and by dealing with it, I, I suggest having a long-distance relationship, which leads me to Alex. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Zach, a touch of background. The... Woman I'm now married to, uh, as of this recording, we are four days away from our three-year anniversary. Uh, Yay. Oh. By the time this comes out, that'll have been the month previous, but all the same. But we were friends all through high school. We started dating at the beginning of college and had ups and downs over the course of several years, but we were together for the majority of that time from the time that we started dating. Um, And I will tell you, we started dating two weeks before she left to go back to, to go to college. Now, when she went to college... Uh, She was an hour and a half away from me. So I went to college. She was in college. Every other weekend I was driving out to go see her or she was coming in to see me or we made it work that that way. After graduating, she came back. We lived in the same town for a while. We saw each other constantly. Uh, Some of those aforementioned hiccups happened. And then when we both decided to go to grad school, we went to grad school in separate states. And we were only seeing each other every four to six weeks. And it was hard. I don't pretend it wasn't. And after we finished graduate school, uh, we got engaged while in graduate school. After we got out of graduate school, I moved to where she was and we got married a few months later, and have built a life ever since. I tell you this story partly because 
It's sweet as fuck. Let's just be clear. We are adorable. But also to tell you, that is a possibility. I'm not going to pretend it's not. It was my reality. I'm also going to tell you, long distance is a lot of work. A lot of deliberate work. None of it is easy. None of it can be done effortlessly. It was a whole lot of planning, scheduling, building very smart habits, developing trust, putting in a lot of work. And not for, uh, that work was 100% worthwhile. It was worthwhile in college when we were long distance. By an hour and a half, it was worthwhile in graduate school when we were several states away from each other. But that's my relationship with my then-girlfriend turned fiancé turned wife. I don't know that much about you and Miri. Uh, you, y'all have clearly known each other, you know, longer than me and Stephanie had when we started dating. That's not nothing. But that's not everything either. 50% of, if I remember this statistic correctly, I believe that it's, no, 90% of uh, relationships that continue until one person dies were started after the age of 30. I don't remember if that was relationships or marriages, but that's a thing. That is a real statistic. And he, I like that Andy says, go for it. I'm, I'm encouraging you to go for it. By go for it, I mean have a conversation with her about your feelings and see if they're reciprocated. Yeah. If they're not reciprocated, that's it. You're good to go. The decision's made. She says that she's not interested. Hopefully y'all stay friends. God knows that I've kept friendships with people after feelings were confessed, and lots of people do. Andy, I'm sure you have. Everyone's a Yeah, yeah I, I have. I thought you were going somewhere else with that. I'm somewhat notorious for not having friendships with any of my ex-girlfriends. <laughs> No, I'm not talking about girlfriends. I'm talking about, like, right, right. feelings expressed and then friendships continue. Like, yeah, you're adults. That I have had. You're adults. That can potentially happen. It's potential, it potentially can. You know, you decide for yourself if that's going to be a risk you're willing to take. We are encouraging you. Go talk to her. Literally, just say, hey, we've been friends forever. I don't really care that you guys have kissed and cuddled and had non-sexual activities. I don't. I think that that's something that... Anyone in a friendship where that's the kind of relationship that you all have, that's fine, you know? Like, ain't nothing wrong with that. If that's just the kind of relationship and friendship that you guys have had, nothing wrong with it. Nothing particularly notable about it either. I mean, we live in a culture where touch is this weird made weird thing and really should just be about, you know, your own personal boundaries with individuals. Um, I think I've said on this podcast before, like I'm very touches my love language, but I'm also hyper monogamous in my marriage. And there's certain kinds of touching that are very important for me to have with my partner. And I don't give a shit what anybody else does with their relationships or friendships like that's that's what works for me and what works for y'all works for y'all and that's beautiful and lovely 
I worry you might be reading a little much into this, especially if you and your friend haven't had conversations about this already, but that shouldn't discourage you from broaching the topic respectfully, carefully, but directly, you know? It's okay to be interested in a relationship. It's okay if y'all go out. If you, It's okay if y'all don't go out. It's okay if y'all go out for a few weeks or a few months and then decide you don't want to take this long distance. She leaves for college, and that's the end of it. And it's okay if y'all go long distance. What's not okay is you trying to do any of this unilaterally. Go talk to her. See what she's interested in. She might say, I don't do long distance. She might say, I'm going to fucking college and I don't want to be attached. That's valid too. You're talking to us when you yeah. should be talking to her. Yeah, and I mean, thank you for your question. We hope the advice is helpful, um, especially if it's relatively time sensitive. Although this, this episode will be coming out pretty closely to time of recording. You, you absolutely need to talk to Mary and be open to any answer. You know, I, I started this by saying I, I relate. I know that feeling when you don't necessarily like someone as much as you like being able to kiss that someone because I've been there. I've had that with people. And maybe that's what all she's got with you. And if it does, I'm sure that's going to sting. But it would be better to know it than not and to be able to understand that, begin salvaging your friendship, and, and find your Mary somewhere else. Yeah. Talk to Mary first and foremost, and don't let college be scary, you know? Yeah. Even if it's across the country, that's a conversation you can have at any time. And if y'all decide, now I'm not about that kind of long distance, that's fair and valid too. But at least you might be able to, if nothing else, give a relationship a shot, assuming mm -hmm. she is reciprocating of those feelings. Yeah. And who knows how your feelings will change. Yeah. Y'all are 20 right now. And you will, the, some of the best advice I ever got in my life, the best advice came from my older sister. And she told me, you will not be the same person at 20 that you were at 15. You won't be the same person at 25 that you were at 20, at 30 that you were at 25, and so on for the rest of your life. And if you are the same person, you're probably doing something wrong. You're very young, both of you. And that's awesome. Now's the time to pursue stuff like this. And if it doesn't work out, Fuck, if your heart gets broken, I promise you, neither of you are going to be all Mrs. Havisham. That was a Dickens reference. <laughs> neither of you are going to be so fucked up over this not working out that you will be traumatized for life. Just stay respectful. Stay friendly. Tell her how you feel, bruh. Maybe don't shoot the porno, but who knows? Maybe that's a thing for you. I don't know. I'm not going to try to tell you how to live your life. I'm just telling you, go talk to her and try. And if it doesn't work, I promise you, 
you will continue your life. There will be other people. There will be this podcast to be there for you, and we would love to hear how this goes. So please write into us again. You have our encouragement. Go talk to her. Be thoughtful. Be respectful. Be caring. Be what most Seth Rogen characters are not. And yeah, man, get at it. We believe in you. Absolutely. If you can be anything, be kind. <laughs> uh, are you satisfied with that answer, Andy? I, I absolutely am. I, I got a, a, a hearty chuckle out of you expressing, I'm not trying to tell you how to live your life. Um, on the show where part of the tagline is, tell you how to live your life <laughs> in, in that order. <laughs> Listen, I contain fucking multitudes which is a paraphrased Walt Whitman reference. This podcast should get filed under literature at this point, bitch. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm very satisfied. Um, you know, there's, there's a joke about Dutch ruddering in there somewhere, but I'll, I'll let you find it yourself, Zach. Um, but yeah, that has been, and this has been, Love-Hate Relationship. If you have a relationship question with a loved one, friend, co-worker, um, if you're like me, tech support, and want our completely unqualified advice, uh, you can send those requests to our email, which is lovehaterelationshippodcast at gmail.com, where we promise we'll read them. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, because iTunes isn't a thing anymore, apparently. Google Podcast, because Google Play hasn't been a thing for a very long time, apparently. Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or even TuneIn Radio. Hey, Mom. Uh, we would also love it. Absolutely love it. Not hate it. Love it. If you reviewed us on any and or all of those platforms. Uh, and if you have other podcatchers, let us know. I'm working on getting a couple of others down. Uh, we're working on it. And you can also tweet us at LHRPod. That's L-H-R-P-O-D with your questions. And you can follow us there to keep up with new episodes. Absolutely. If uh, by chance you want to follow me privately on Twitter, uh, Ooh. you can do so by finding Jovocop2113. Uh, that's me, Andy Bowell. And I'm at A underscore X underscore R-U-I-Z on both Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, here's hoping the audio's a little bit better next time, but... Um, yeah, it damn well better be, and will be, if I have anything to say about it. <laughs> Send Andy some love, folks. It sounds like he probably needs it, or will have several weeks before uh, you all heard this. Uh <laughs> Thank you for listening. <laughs> uh, and as always, please tell your enemies.